The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. The mission of this radio show is to enable every listener to achieve their career aspirations and advance their careers to achieve their potential and meet their financial goals. Now, here are your hosts, Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Hello, this is Cheryl Dawson with Ken Dawson. We're talking with uh, Dr. Dalton Conley, author of Elsewhere USA, and we're going to be talking about an interesting subject how we got to economic anxiety, and how to give everyone a golden parachute. Even when we are where we are supposed to be, we are often thinking about where we need to be, or want to be, or hope to be elsewhere. This reality seems to plague most professionals in the U.S., whether young or old. We are so consumed by our activities that they seem to take control of our lives and create a state of constant anxiety, both emotional and economic. Work and personal lives are melded in one big blur of multitasking. Dalton Conley is with us today to x-ray the why of our state of affairs and some possible approaches to minimizing the anxiety. Let me give a little bit of background about Dalton Conley. He is university professor and dean of social sciences at New York University. Dr. Conley became the first sociologist and second social scientist to win the Alan T. Waterman Award from the National Science Foundation for Best Young Researcher in any field of science, math, or engineering. His research focuses on how social economic status is transmitted across generations and on the public policies that affect that process. Dr. Conley was elected to permanent membership in the Council of Foreign Affairs and is a young leader by the National Committee for U.S.-China Relations. He was named one of the nine innovative minds by Seed Magazine. He's written six books and edited three, and his latest book has a very long title, Elsewhere USA, How We Got from the Company Man, Family Dinners, and the Age of Affluence to the Home Office, Blackberry Moms, and Economic Anxiety. In addition to writing books, he's a frequent lecturer and contributor to mainstream media, including Today, The O'Reilly Factor, and The News Hour. Welcome, Dalton, and thanks for taking time from your busy schedule to join us today. Uh, thanks, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. Uh, you bet. Uh, how did you write uh, Elsewhere USA, and how did you do the research for the book? Uh, well, basically, uh, I, there's a, a bunch of classic uh, sociological books from the 1950s that tried, I think, fairly successfully, to describe the new landscape of post-war America, I mean, the America that emerged from World War II and was starting to really enter a boom time in the 50s was quite different than the America of the 30s, obviously, that had entered into the war. Uh, and uh, these changes were so dramatic that I think the society needed sociologists to help interpret 
you know, how the social landscape had shifted. We'd become suburbanized. We, uh, huge corporations that didn't exist before uh, kind of dominated the, the cultural life of America and so forth. And uh, there hasn't been that kind of book, I think, uh, to describe the social transformations of a, of a company, the economic transformations of the last 30 years or so, which have been equally dramatic, maybe not as rapid, but certainly as dramatic as those in the, uh, in the world around World War II. So uh, I kind of, you know, maybe presumptuously or arrogantly or ambitiously or however you want to put it, uh, set out to try to address that gap by pulling together a bunch of research and describing how economics, techno technological changes, and family and cultural changes have all kind of come together in a perfect storm of sorts to really rewrite how we live our everyday lives. I think everybody's just been too busy to think about all the changes, uh, Dalton, but I, I really enjoyed your book. I think you did a great job uh, in a very um, easy-to-read format, uh, definitely not uh, what some people think, you know, from academia you might expect. Rather, it's, it's very readable, so thank you for writing the book. Great. Thank you. You talk about how educated professionals, especially parents, have this feeling that they should be everywhere at once. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, th that's partly the technology, but partly also the economic pressures we feel and the family pressures. Uh, of course, you know, in the 1950s or 60s or 70s or even 80s, uh, there, there wasn't an opportunity as much to be everywhere at one time. Yes, we had phones and faxes, but we didn't have, you know, the, uh, the, the iPhones and the Internet and wireless connection to the internet and all that, so that there's so many channels of communication that are you know, basically subjecting us to constant connectivity, which is both a curse and a blessing uh, when combined with work responsibilities and family responsibilities. So um, the, you know, increasingly when we're at work, we're able to, if there's a down moment, we're able to you know, um, pay our bills online or set up an appointment for our kid's uh, pediatrician. Uh, but also, you know, 10 at night or midnight or 1 a.m., we're also uh, expected uh, in some cases or, um, or feel the need to be res responsive to um, the constant communication. Uh, now, of course, that's made, that wouldn't be possible without the technology, but it's also a result, I think. The technology is necessary but not sufficient, I should say, and it's, it's also a result of the changes in family uh, such that Today, uh, a majority of the people in the workforce are actually women, and, 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 and two-thirds of moms work outside the home, whereas as recently as 1975, that was only one-third, even though we think of the 70s as the most feminist period. So increasingly, there's two parents working, juggling household responsibilities and work responsibilities, and that tends to blend those, and uh, increased economic anxiety and, and uh related to inequality, rising inequality among professionals means that we feel like we have to keep working to, to, to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, and therefore we don't feel the luxury of just ignoring the inbox until the next morning when we're back in the office. Dalton, uh, today there is a huge amount of anxiety, obviously. Uh, our radio audience is made up primarily of individuals perhaps who have lost their jobs or are looking for jobs. 
share with our audience your <clears throat> excuse me your observations on today's uh, society relative to uh, the job market. You obviously do a lot of work with a lot of people in that arena. Um, what share what observations would you have for our audience relative to how to attain better job, better pay, better life? Well, uh, you know, I I don't think I know the secret to getting a job in this kind of tough economy. And, in fact, we do know the research shows that the folks who have lost their jobs uh, during these kind of economic down periods, the time spent unemployed is increasingly longer. And that's not a good thing. On the other hand, uh, I could tell you, uh, from the research that I've done, how you might um, best manage um, the the, uh, the balance between you know job search and home, and uh, one one aspect for employers or employees is that I think the idea of FaceTime is a, an anachronism from a bygone era. You know, more and more the successful companies and the successful individuals are judging their employees or themselves based on the accomplishment of specific project goals and tasks, and whether that's from home, with the kids around, or at the office, or, uh, or what have you, uh, that, that is increasingly the more successful managerial yardstick, um, and not some concept of when you're in the office and when you're not in the office, and that the, the best managers are finding that a, a looser leash is, is, uh, is, is actually a better approach, so to speak. Uh, in terms of job search, um, I really don't, I can't um, offer any specifics about how, you know, how things are different now. Of course, the Internet has completely changed job search. On the, on the one hand, on the other hand, um, we're ironically more rooted than we ever were before. In the first half of the 20th century, people would get up and move uh, their families for work much more frequently than we do now. Uh, partly that's the increased home ownership rates that we have now, but it seems to be beyond that, that despite our image of ourselves as this kind of um, completely iterant, um, totally mobile, uh, fast-paced society now, yes, we commute longer distances, yes, there's more business travel, uh, but we don't actually move our residences as much as we used to. So that's one issue that I think is going to... Uh, be uh, kind of a sticky, sticky one for this recovery. Whether people are able to or willing to move, you know, uh, states, regions, wherever, in order to uh, seek better pastures economically. Yeah, uh, having that lack of flexibility can also often impact uh, the um, the options an individual has, and plus the two career family can sometimes right. add to that. Yeah, that, I'm glad uh, you mentioned that. Situation. That's an important yeah. issue too today. And, and that you wasn't, write really there writing about educated ago. professionals uh, being financially secure. Uh, we just have a minute here, but do you think um, you know that they are generally more secure now? We just um, have a minute. Professionals? Yes. Uh, there's a big debate about that. You know, certainly the economy, uh, the downturn now and the high unemployment rate approaching 10%. Um, you know, I live in, in, in New York City, you know, not that far from Wall Street, and lots of folks are, you know, 
talking about the devastation of the investment banking industry, you know, even before the bailout and all that, uh, that uh, unemployment rate has skyrocketed and, the, and, and, and it depresses the whole New York economy. The truth is that actually the unemployment rate on Wall Street went from, you know, like 1.5% to 3%. Yeah. So, so um, we're going to take a little break here, um, Dalton, and when we'll go back, we'll explore more insight from Elsewhere USA. So if you're thinking you need to be somewhere else, you definitely need to stay tuned. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Earn a better job for better pay and achieve a better life with Job Search, the total system, now in its third edition and through a host of valuable online resources at www.tcsworldwide.com. Thousands have successfully used these proven techniques to make their dream job or career a reality. One total system user shared, This is without reservation the best advice on job search available. I used it over my career and each time got a better position for substantially increased pay. Go to www.tcsworldwide.com and advance your career today. While you're on the site, please check out TCS University, which will bring you advanced resources like sample resumes, career assessment, total career success tracks, links to coaching services, and much more. Read Get Off the Treadmill, the total career success blog from Ken and Cheryl Dawson, and check out our online store for products relating to the book and total career success. Visit the website today at www.tcsworldwide.com. Total career success, better job, better pay, better life. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Oh, hi, Jessica. Hi, Mrs. Johnson. Is Megan there? Sure. Follow me. The kids are in the kitchen making sandwiches. <laughs> hey, Julie. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Megan. Hey, Megan. Yeah? You're a total freak. God, you're ugly. And dumb. Oh, and your makeup makes you look like a tramp. Tommy Morris told me you guys made out. Everybody knows. The whole school knows. He said your breath smelled like garbage, and he almost puked. He says you're the most desperate girl he knows. And that dress is totally hideous. You look like a big, fat clown. Disgusting. Oh, and by the way, nice zit. If you wouldn't say it in person, why say it online? Delete cyberbullying. Don't write it, don't forward it. For more information, visit ncpc.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, Crime Prevention Coalition of America, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
listening to Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts about today's show? Please call toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to tcsonair at tcsworldwide.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Ken and Cheryl here with uh, Dr. Dalton Conley, and we're talking about his uh, new book, Elsewhere USA. And uh, just before the break, Dalton, you were sharing uh, quite an amazing statistic that only about perhaps 3% of uh, white-collar workers in New York were hit by the, the likes of Lehman Brothers and so forth going under, and yet the unemployment rate around the country is uh, bumping 10% uh, and sometimes higher in some states. So what, you know, what is your perception on disparity between the white and blue collar, and also why did you focus on the highway journal? Right. Well, the, the I mean, of course, uh, the it's an old story that um, it's the people at the bottom that always feel the heat or get the, um, feel the pressure when the economy goes down. And that's not to say that a lot of high-wealth folks haven't lost a lot of money or some folks haven't lost their jobs or that they're under, underemployed as compared to 2007, let's say, but but still, the story for professionals is still significantly better than it is for those with less education or who are in, in, in more blue-collar sectors of the economy. So that's uh, that's a, uh, that's that's good news for that group. Um, you know, it's it's not as good as it was in 2007, but there's still there's still uh, jobs and growth out there. Uh, the um, another issue is work hours in. Much of what I wrote about in the book is that you know, work hours, have, particularly for the high end, have been on a steady rise. And, and one of the things that I was fascinated by was the fact that uh, for the first time, it seemed in recent, in recent years, the, uh, the further up the income ladder you go, the more hours you work. And uh, that was a, a fundamental flip from what, had it, what it had been basically ever since labor records were kept, which was... Uh, that we had a leisure class. The further up the ladder you went, the fewer hours you worked. You you use that extra income, those higher wages, to buy more leisure time. And the the boss would kick off at 3 p.m. and go play golf or what have you. But now it's the reverse, actually. That you know the wor- the workers, the lower end workers, the moment they clock out, they're done. They don't work longer hours. And then it's for the upper end that this elsewhere phenomenon of constant. Uh, Tug to work is is really applicable, and then in, in, in not, uh, not uncoincidentally, uh, the it's it's the fact that um, that it's in the top half of the distribution that the income inequality has risen. But if you look at the middle to the bottom, things have been pretty flat the ratio over the last thirty or forty years. But if you look from the middle to the top, that gap has been growing and growing. And recent evidence suggests that even post-2007 and the downturn, uh, there's still income inequality hasn't dropped as much as we thought it would. It's been stable, uh, leveled off. So I think as long as there's that kind of income inequality at the top, even in t- when times are good, people are going to feel like they're not getting as much of the, the spoils as their neighbor, so to speak, their, their other people in their reference group, and that's what's going to propel them to work more and more hours. And then the folks at the... Um, in, in, in downturns like now, 
people are so scared about holding on to what they got because they're so over leveraged having tried to keep up so you know it's the same message that uh, of advice that I would have in good or bad times which was to be basically deleverage yourself as much as that's humanly possible in terms of paying down debt yeah uh, that's really what keeps keeps the anxiety level high uh, <clears throat> is this is this this debt fed consumption to keep up with the Joneses yeah, that's very good advice. You, that that first um, uh, reality you mentioned about the incomes uh, uh, getting higher and higher uh, is, I guess, the income effect and you know working more hours because of it. You also talked about the substitution effect. Uh, mm-hmm. Just explain what that is. So basically, you know, whenever you get more income, your wage goes up, so to speak. Uh, there's two effect, co- contradictory effects going on, and we see this also when your income goes down like in a recession. One is that you have the income effect, as I mentioned before, you have more income to buy more things. And one of those things that you buy, that is what economists call a normal good, is a is leisure. So you would actually work fewer hours because if you make the same amount of money, uh, you know, in half the time, you might work a little bit more uh, than half the time, but you're going to use some of that money to buy time to relax and have a good time vacation and see your kids and all that. But there's a substitution effect that's also at work that's counter, a countervailing force. The substitution effect says that basically when your wages go up, the opportunity cost of not working has also increased, and that propels you or pushes you into the, the labor market more. And it's not, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we're talking about an hourly wage kind of uh, Rate. Most professionals don't work on an hourly wage. They work on a salary or they're self-employed and they're running a business and so forth. It's just the kind of the general opportunity cost. If there's money to be made and there's more money to be made, uh, the, the substitution effect means that you're going to be working more hours, even if the income effect means that you're, uh, you, you could afford to slow down. And, and at least you know, for the last um, you know, 15 years or so, the substitution effect has really trumped the income effect, meaning that as people go up the ladder, they actually work more. They, and then I, they I think feel that's driven really, by this Yeah, and then they feel real guilty about that. Yeah, right. So, is it your experience that people are willing to work harder to make more money? And has that changed over the years? Yes. Uh, I think that, you know, we do have this long cultural tradition in, in the United States of the, the what's called the Protestant work ethic. Um, and you don't have to be Protestant for that. It's the, it's the uh, what Max Weber called the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism, which is basically that there is this very individualistic approach, uh, cultural approach to your economic well-being and to your religious well-being is where the linkage is. And you have to kind of take care of yourself and prove that you're blessed uh, by accumulating lots of wealth. And you do that obviously by working really hard at your chosen field and by not spending a lot, but basically being a miser. And we seem to have forgotten the second half of not spending, um, but we, we, we've certainly had a reawakening in the first half of, wor- of work hours. In 1963, we hit a low point in work hours, and in fact, many intellectuals and the government worried about uh, what's going to happen when the economy is fully automated and we don't need people to work as much. And uh, lo and behold, basically from that point forward, work hours started to increase dramatically. They, they have gone down because of the recession, uh, but 
that's kind of more involuntary non-work hours. So uh, in the meantime, we have continued to spend ourselves silly. Uh, that, of course, has turned around in the recession. People are not spending. Uh, they're paying down debt or saving a, a more than they did in the last in 20 or 30 years. Uh, so, so we have this sort of... I don't want to call it like cultural DNA, but we certainly have this cultural tradition in the United States, and it's, it, it's sensitive to the economic and policy climate, uh, and it had been reawakened as of as of late. Oh, certainly the fear factor will kick in uh, when uh, when the, you know the possibility of losing your income totally uh, to get people to start to pay that debt down. Mm-hmm. But it, what? Uh, like to interject here, Dalton, is it seems like the Europeans aren't quite as fanatical about, um, you know, going after the accumulation of, of goods to the extent, right. and they, they take more leisure time. What, why, why do you think there is that difference, or have you studied that? Well, initially I thought it was because of the sort of the Protestant ethic that you can see in, in Ben Franklin's um, or Richard's Almanac, you know, and, and on forward. Uh, Basically, you know, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise is kind of our 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 ethic, and this is seen as a land of opportunity. I throw these cultural factors, but then I dug a little deeper, and I found that you know, for the much of the 20th century, uh, until the last third of the 20th century, the the Europeans worked more than us. I mean, it's hard to believe to me today uh, that the French worked harder than us. Maybe the Germans we could believe, maybe the British, but the French and the Italians and the, and the Spanish and all, all those folks, it's so contra- contrary to what we see today and what our kind of stereotypes are. Uh, but that was the case. We worked the fewest hours among the most developed nations in the 1950s and early 60s. Of course, they were rebuilding from from uh, you know, World War II, but even the countries that really didn't get destroyed in World War II, they worked harder than us. So there's something more than just the culture and I think really what, you know, starting in the late 60s, things really started to diverge. And, and the French, for example, chose a very specific path of, of work less, work all. Basically, they, they had mandatory retirement ages. They had mandatory caps on the length of the work week and so forth to try to spread out the work uh, to, to as many people as possible. And we, of course, had a more laissez-faire approach and um, work hours started to spiral up, whereas they were more controlled uh, and, uh, in, in the European countries where they had also provided, for example, family leave, paid family leave for birth of children and so forth. So we really chose a very different policy and economic regime. It's not due to technology. The Europeans actually are more connected than we are um, per capita and so forth. So that's an example of how technology alone doesn't explain all our kind of our, our way of life. Uh, unions also had um, quite a bit to do with that relative to, uh, you know, they're being very unionized and are necessarily not being as unionized. Right. Correct? Exactly. Yep. So that's, that's another uh, aspect of uh, uh, the labor market policy that was quite different. Okay, we're going to take a little break here, and when we get back, we'll explore about the challenges of our elsewhere society, so stay tuned.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Earn a better job for better pay and achieve a better life with Job Search, the total system, now in its third edition and through a host of valuable online resources at www.tcsworldwide.com. Thousands have successfully used these proven techniques to make their dream job or career a reality. One total system user shared, This is without reservation the best advice on job search available. I used it over my career and each time got a better position for substantially increased pay. Go to www.tcsworldwide.com and advance your career today. While you're on the site, please check out TCS University, which will bring you advanced resources like sample resumes, career assessment, total career success tracks, links to coaching services, and much more. Read Get Off the Treadmill, the total career success blog from Ken and Cheryl Dawson, and check out our online store for products relating to the book and total career success. Visit the website today at www.tcsworldwide.com. Total career success better job better pay better life an ordinary sunny day an ordinary family's living room filled with an ordinary bunch of kids and they were doing nothing they were couch slouching they were rug imitating and lazy minute after lazy minute was passing them by when suddenly huh Hey guys, that's a personal foul. Inactive activity on a sunny day. Coming to the rescue was NFL running back Reggie Bush. Players on your lazy penalties. Let's play. Those kids, they listened to Reggie. They got up and play they did. There was fun and running. There were smiles and jumping. And laziness was crushed. Hey kids, don't get a lazy penalty. Kids, listen to Reggie and avoid lazy penalties. Be a player. Get up and play for an hour a day. Go online to check out smallstep.gov for fun playtime ideas. So you can be a player, too. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Be a player. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts about today's show? Please call toll free at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to TCS on air at TCSWorldwide.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. We're with uh, Dr. Dalton Conley talking about Elsewhere USA, the professional class that seems to just uh, strive for more and more when, in fact, Dalton, uh, we, we, are, we 
have more wealth than we've ever had before, according to the statistics you share in the book. And, and yet we still observe people uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Is, is, is it some fear factor that they have? Oh, I, I, you know, I think uh, it, it is. It's some anxiety that kind of becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy about consumption, needing more money to consume more, and therefore you know, needing more money to support our lifestyle and so forth. Uh, during the break, we were talking about one of the statistics that you know, Americans, uh, at least right before the recession, which is the latest data I had, uh, purchase more than, uh, on average, more than one article of clothing per week, you know, 55 articles of clothing a year. And, you know, and yet we have to export our used clothing to the developing world to be shredded or recycled or worn or what have you uh, in this kind of grand exchange, of, uh, and that's what we're working for. So, you know, aside from the real um, pain and, and economic deprivation that many families, particularly the lower end, are facing right now in the downturn, uh, you could see some good coming out of our higher savings rate in this downturn uh, that we are breaking the cycle of consumption. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of the strategies that were open to us in previous serious recessions and even the Great Depression um, are not as open to us now. In other words, we could live a simpler life, withdraw from the labor market, um, you know, uh, kind of go back to living, to, to eating and more basic staple foods and so forth. In, in fact, there's been an incredible rise in home gardens and in, in folks raising their own chickens and so forth across the United States, interesting factoid in the recession. But... Uh, we're, we're limited, most of us are limited in how much we can kind of opt out and take a time out from the labor market for a while because we have all this debt we've been running up during the boom time, and we, ha- we work for that debt now. We, it would be very simple if we didn't have to make you know, overinflated credit card payments and mortgage payments, but we do have to make those. So that really, really adds to the anxiety level. So it's really good advice you gave earlier to start working on that debt and maybe make yourself a promise that uh, as you uh, pay it down, never to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, the large reason in many cases for people growing their own products and and going back to the soil, as it were, is, is the concerns they have about the security of our country. There's so much fear about what's going on in the world. How... Your, what is your research on, on that subject? On on our security? Well, our, you know, people, you know, raising their own food and going back to the garden and, and basically being much more self-sufficient, just right. for survival reasons. Yes, this is, this, is a diff- this is a huge movement right now. It's kind of like uh, the backlash to the, to the Elsewhere USA, you know, uh, culture mm-hmm. that uh, people say, I've had enough. Uh, and um, I want to be able to have some independence from this, you know, great connected web of of, of human and economic activity. I want to be able to be self-sufficient. I want to, you know, know what I'm putting into my mouth. I want to grow it myself or what have you. Uh, and, you know, there's the local foods movement. There's the slow living movement. There's the back to nature movement. There's all these kind of uh, disparate movements. That's very typical. Any, any um, sort of cultural trend will generate its opposite. 
you know, in the 1950s, we think of as kind of corporate America conformist, the man in the gray flannel suit. But it was also the it, it it generated, and you could already see the seeds of the counterculture with the Beatnik movement, which then flourished into the full-fledged counterculture in the, by the late 1960s. So this is kind of how history evolves: is that you know each movement uh, generates its antithesis, and then ironically somehow they fuse. And uh, you know, in, in David Brooks' his book uh, uh, um, on bourgeois bohemians, uh, Bobos in Paradise, is a really hilariously funny take on how the dominant culture of consumerism and corporate America fused with the counterculture values to produce what he called Bobos, bourgeois bohemians, uh, who expressed their countercultural t- social desires through consumption and, and through their work and, and for big you know, corporations. And I think we're going to see a similar merging in the future of the elsewhere USA kind of constant work all the time connected knowledge economy with this back to basics um, live off the land mentality. I, what will that look like? I have no idea. They seem like opposites to me right now, but so did the counterculture in the 60s and the dominant culture of the 50s. Uh, and they merged. Yeah, I think back to 1975, Alvin taught for a future shock. You remember mm-hmm. that, and, uh, and if you were to update that book today, what would it look like? You know, I don't think I could write that book. Uh, that was, uh, you know, it, it, he was making the argument that things are changing so rapidly uh, that we all experience essentially culture shock like you do when you go to a different country uh, because our own countries are changing so rapidly. You know, I certainly think that's true today in the developing world. You know, if you go to, to India now and you went to India 10 years ago, it's radically different. Uh, you know, uh, same thing with a lot of places. Um, I think what's, what's interesting or I don't want to say scary here in the United States and other developed countries is that things are changing so radically, but they're so subtle uh, that it's it, it's actually hard to notice. You, we have these vague senses that things are different, but they don't smack us in the face like Toffler said they they do. Um, so to, to give you an example, just the norms about how to use your BlackBerry. Uh, you know, five years ago. Uh, you didn't answer a BlackBerry or text somebody, respond to a text when you were at a meal or in the middle of a cocktail party in a conversation with somebody. And then, you know, some rude folks started doing that, and eventually the norms kind of changed. And now people, you know, with impunity, um, uh, text and, and, and take phone calls in the middle of a social engagement. I'm not saying any one way is better or worse, but certainly the norms are changing. Uh, right under our noses, and I don't think we always notice it so much. I still think it's rude. <laughs> you coined a, a term, uh, Dalton, to describe the phenomenon of being dependent uh, on our network for economic and, and even emotional identity. Intravigilistic. <laughs> Did I say that right? Yep. Intravigilistic. What do you mean by that? I mean that uh, it, whereas one time in the United States the ethical imperative was to, quote, find oneself, you know, the idea that you go off, you face challenges alone, um, you discover who you are, uh, and that there's some core authentic self that is a private backstage self, and, and, and uh, we, we adapt to that. We learn, and, we, and that becomes our, that self that we discover 
um, quote, finding yourself, is, becomes our lodestar that should be our guiding light uh, in terms of making ethical decisions and making career choices and family choices and so forth, uh, our set of values uh, that, that are our North Star. However, today, uh, number one, with constant connectivity, you can never really get that mental space to go off um, and, and face a challenge alone and, and, and find oneself, one's true core, so to speak. Um, I, I think back to when I was in college and I went backpacking through Europe one summer, as is a kind of tradition of American middle-class college students for many years, you know, get a URL pass and you know, eat, eat cheaply as you travel around. And I, I called home and talked to my family maybe once a week for a hurried five-minute phone call just so they knew I wasn't dead. Um, and I was really disconnected from my life uh, and, and had a series of new adventures and, and learned a lot about myself through that and changed myself to a certain extent through that. Uh, today, you, you, the middle-class college student really wouldn't even be able to do that. They'd be in constant contact through texting and through, you know, Internet cafes and so forth so that we, we can't get lost and find, and, and find ourselves by getting lost. Uh, and, we, and, in fact, because the multiple media through which we interact with our social network, um, we can be multiple people. Uh, and that's why I say individual because there's many. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the individual has been cleaved into many parts. I, I argue uh, because we're we're you know we're one person on on Facebook and we're a different person. We interact face to face and so forth. Uh, so I think that uh, the ethic now is to manage all those kind of different communication streams uh, in the clear light of day because there's no real backstage when you. You know, there's no privacy when you Twitter or Facebook, you know, your status or what have you. One of the interesting terms we hear today is multitasking. And mm-hmm. it's amazing. Think about how technology has completely changed our lives. And multitasking is a perfect example of it. You've got to balance all these technologies just to stay current with what's going on in the world. Right. Uh, so I think that's what the sort of new... Um, Skill or imperative is. I think the the you know most, the the ability. To, some of us can do it better than others. Some of us can, you know, uh, to can text or email while we're listening to a lecture or at a meeting. Some of us really can't right. have kind of split attention and and actually take in both things at the same time. And and that's going to be that, that I think going to be a premium on the job market for people who can do that. Just as it'll be a premium, ironically, for the opposite, for somebody who's able to resist checking their email every five minutes or resist okay. looking at the BlackBerry and focus well, down to write back, the report. We'll, we'll cover a little bit more on the new economy, so we'll see you in a second. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
earn a better job for better pay and achieve a better life. With Job Search, the total system, now in its third edition, and through a host of valuable online resources at www.tcsworldwide.com, thousands have successfully used these proven techniques to make their dream job or career a reality. One total system user shared, This is without reservation, the best advice on job search available. I used it over my career and each time got a better position for substantially increased pay. Go to www.tcsworldwide.com and advance your career today. While you're on the site, please check out TCS University, which will bring you advanced resources like sample resumes, career assessment, total career success tracks, links to coaching services, and much more. Read Get Off the Treadmill, the total career success blog from Ken and Cheryl Dawson, and check out our online store for products relating to the book and total career success. Visit the website today at www.tcsworldwide.com. Total career success. Better job, better pay, better life. And now a weather update. Winds out of the south-southeast at 9 miles an hour. Citizens of America, this is a message from feedthepig.org. Do not be alarmed. We are here to help you save yourself. According to public records, Americans spent more money than they earned in 2005. This is the first negative savings rate in the U.S. since the Great Depression. America, we must change our behavior. We need to stop spending every dime we earn and start feeding the pig. We must start putting away a piece of our paycheck. On the 1st and the 15th, we must pay ourselves before we pay anyone or anything. We must make a budget. And yes, even consider cutting up a credit card. And we must tell a friend to do the same. America, to start moving in the right direction, we must start a movement. Join us at feedthepig.org. Find the benefits of saving for every stage of life. Log on to feedthepig.org today. And for more traffic updates, brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Self-leadership is more important than corporate leadership. In the hustle and bustle world we live in, we need to be reminded that in all failures and successes, we are the common denominators. Each week, let Daniel Gutierrez help bring you the tools you need to manage self-leadership, resulting in self-success. Make your mark in your industry. Make sure you listen to Right Here, Right Now, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Do you have a question or comment for the host about today's show? Please call toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to tcsonair at tcsworldwide.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. We're with uh, Dalton Conley, and we're talking about the Elsewhere USA and how that's impacted the way we live and work. And uh, Dalton, you were talking about the fragmentation of the individual with all these different affiliations we have. And hasn't social networking really, really driven that to an extreme? Yeah, you know, social network is the buzzword of, of our age. Of, I'm sure many folks think that that's the key to getting a job these days and so forth. But the technologies have kind of made that uh, paradoxically more problematic, all the Web 2.0 
social networking tools like LinkedIn and so forth, in that they really uh, kind of ruined the value of the connections in that they're so open that they kind of dilute or cheapen the power of a, of a connection or a personal reference. And what I mean is if I'm going to recommend somebody for a job, you know, I'm putting my reputation on the line. Right? So um, I have to know them and trust their, them well enough to mention this job to them. Right? So it doesn't make, it's not going to change who I recommend at all, you know, whether or not um, I'm connected to somebody on LinkedIn or not and so forth. Uh, I think, in fact, it kind of, uh, like I said, it dilutes or, or lessens the exclusivity of the Rolodex when it's made public like that. The, oh, I can reach this person, you know, only one link away through somebody I know. But they're not going to really act as a gatekeeper if, if they don't really trust you. It all comes back to the same issues, that the value of a connection is through how you know somebody, not just that you know them. Mm-hmm. So we have to be really cautious of, of um, uh, you know, being one of the lions of the social networking, I guess, as they call them, just having too many, and then you've just, you just really lost yourself in that huge group. What is the extreme of the individual? Uh, I think the extreme individual is somebody who is spending all their time, you know, networking, uh, particularly online, and um, uh, maintain. You know, is really consumed and has almost a second job by maintaining their their Twitter and their Facebook and their you know LinkedIn and all their sort of uh, media and communication technologies, and hasn't really developed the kind of stronger ties that were, would really actually be useful. Exactly, and that's one of the things that uh, in Job Search a Total System that we emphasize to, to our readers and clients is, is that they have to balance what they're doing uh, in the more general networking when they get to that tertiary and, and, and even fourth level of, of networking, that they also have to be going face-to-face and building those relationships with individuals so they can get to know them right. and uh, and be able to make that referral on more of a personal level. Right. It's quality, not quantity, necessarily. Yes, indeed. And that subject, too, don't we recommend that uh, families who are just going in a thousand different directions spend quality time together? And, and our whole philosophy is what greater legacy can you pass on to your kids? And teaching them how to have better job, better pay, better life. And it, you turn off the one-eyed monster and you sit there and talk about quality time and being a family and how parents can help their kids succeed in life. Right. The, the kids growing up today are growing up in a radically different uh, you know, a social environment than, than we grew up in, in that on the one hand they're totally fluent and native with this um, these technologies. In fact, term for the newest generation is digital natives. They've never experienced the world without the Internet. So uh, so that's great. On the other hand, you know, uh, we, during the break we were talking about helicopter parents, which is something that I, as a professor I experience. Uh, and I try not to be with my own kids, although it's, it's very hard, uh, uh, that we don't, because they don't have that space to be, quote, alone or by themselves or succeed or fail on their own, um, there's something lost in, in their development. And, again, uh, that the, the knowledge economy puts so much pressure on us as, as, as our own workers that have to continually develop our skills, but also as parents, that we know that if they don't have a good education today, um, 
uh, they're really going to be in for a hard life of economic insecurity, uh, that you want to spoon feed and push and push as much as, you know, structured activities and, and tutoring and so forth onto your kids if you have the resources. But, but, but by doing that, um, the non-cognitive skills like being able to manage your own time as a kid or uh, um, you know, plan out your homework for the whole week or, or figure out a hard math problem on your own without checking on the Internet if there's a, any tutorials or, or having a parent do it, uh, help you through it, um, is, is, um, is really difficult to do. Um, and, and, and it gets kind of shunted to the side, even though in the long term that's very important. Well, one of the things that I'm sure you've seen and read and heard an awful lot about is is the addiction. I was listening to this addiction specialist who was talking about kids who are spending 16, 18, 20 hours a day on the Internet or on games and are just totally addicted to it and have just walled off life and they're focused exclusively on this technology. Right. It's kind of like TV. You know, when TV first came out, you know, and one of the arguments for for uh, public television was that uh, we needed to make sure that you know, that disadvantaged kids had access to this this wonderful new technology that could deliver you know, high quality information to 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 a wide public. Uh, and when computers first started sort of becoming uh, household objects, the we talked about the digital divide. Who's connected? You know that it was a disadvantage for for poor folks, for rural folks, and so forth, not to be connected to the internet. Well, uh, my prediction is that the internet is going to go the way of TV in the sense that it's going to be the elites that are able to wall themselves off and disconnect and unplug from from the constant connectivity, and it's going to be you know the lower end that is always connected and addicted to this. Dalton, we just have a couple of minutes left here. I wanted just uh, to leave our uh, audience with uh, two uh, warnings. One, you talk about the danger of our pursuit of wealth of leading to um, actually eroding intrinsic motivation, such as pleasure and challenge and, and the benefit of others. And the second point about convestment, what you call convestment. Right. Well, there was a big uh, tension in the 1950s between you know, uh, the kind of Protestant ethic that I mentioned before about not spending and, and saving and accumulating wealth as opposed to consumption, uh, because consumption was on the rise in the 1950s. The first charge cards and household durables started to appear to populate our, you know, newly suburbanized post-war America. People bought new cars uh, very frequently, trading up in mo their models. And but there was always this sort of uncomfortableness with that kind of consumptive lifestyle uh, and the, I think a lot of that tension was resolved in our current era by redefining consumption as investment, redefining investment as consumption, meaning when you add on a new wing to your house or redo your bathroom or do something for your business, you tell yourself it's really an investment because it'll well, bring more clients and so we're going to have to end the show here, forth. Dalton. Uh, sorry to cut you a little bit short on that. Get the book, Wellsware USA, to learn more. Uh, you can improve your life. Uh, and Dalton, thank you so much for being with us. What is your website where folks can get to you? Uh, it's home. They, they Google my name, Dalton Connolly, they'll find me. Okay, good deal. Okay. Thanks again, Dalton. We enjoyed having you today. Thank oh, you. Thank you very much, buddy. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.
again for joining us this week on Total Career Success with Ken and Cheryl Dawson. Remember to join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, right here. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.